KCSB FM, Santa Barbara 91.9. This is Inside Isla Vista. I'm Ginger Thomas with KCSB News. This is the show that shares what's happening in and around Isla Vista and the UC Santa Barbara community. On tonight's show, we're taking you out to a Dia de los Muertos celebration and sharing a fun post-Halloween event that sent jack-o'-lanterns out with a bang. Then, later in the show, the Red Zone. Why are some college students more at risk this time of year? And what do you and your friends and children need to know about protecting themselves from being a victim of sexual assault year-round? And first, IV headlines. The Santa Barbara County Board of Supervisors has unanimously agreed to recommend raising the mandatory height requirement for railings and fences along the Isla Vista Bluffs from three and a half feet to six feet. This requirement would be directed at both county and private property along the bluffs. The recommendation stemmed from Supervisor Laura Capp's eight-point safety plan, which was inspired by the recent death of 19-year-old Benny Shermer. The SBCC student fell to his death from the bluffs in September. Many other local organizations, such as Associated Students of UCSB and Ivy Safe, partnered with Supervisor Capps on the safety plan. Many families who have lost their loved ones to these bluffs have also given their input during a public comment. Anna Squivel, the mother of victim Alessandro Squivel, said that it's easy to blame the victims, but that will only guarantee more victims. This collaborative effort is just the beginning of making the bluffs a safer place. Last month, the Isla Vista Community Services District approved revisions to both social host ordinances and festival ordinances, which are waiting on further approval from the Santa Barbara County Board of Supervisors. This would include change to Isla Vista's well-known Deltopia tradition, meaning that any music aiming to gain a crowd would have to be shut off by 6 p.m. during the festival week. Other changes would include requiring a permit from locations hosting more than 250 people, while residential properties are fully prohibited from having more than 250 people. The last major revision would be that any host selling tickets, asking for donations, or selling alcohol would be prohibited on all residential properties. Reasons behind these alterations are due to increased hospitalizations during the week of Deltopia, along with an influx of crowds coming from outside of Isla Vista, raising concerns about bluffs, patios, or porches collapsing. Now on to our show. Fall celebrations in Isla Vista included a two-night event with two nights of Dia de los Muertos. The vibrant and festive traditions of Dia de los Muertos came alive in Isla Vista earlier this month. That's when the Isla Vista Recreation Park District teamed up with the St. George Youth Center for a family-friendly event to honor and remember loved ones in a colorful, joyful atmosphere. KCSB's Maximilian II brings us the story of the event, which highlighted the rich tapestry of this Mexican cultural holiday. Last week on November 1st, people gathered to celebrate their cultural heritage at the St. George Youth Center, which was hosted by Isla Vista Parks and Recreation. They were there to observe Dia de los Muertos, a traditional holiday celebrated in Mexican and Latin American communities. I talked with the Assistant General Manager, Luis Valerio, about the celebration and the significance of this holiday. My name is Luis Valerio and I'm the Assistant General Manager for the Isla Vista Rec and Park District. Today we're celebrating uh, Dia de los Muertos, uh, which is a Mexican um, culture celebration of uh, the people that we've lost, our ancestors, our loved ones over time, um, and we've been planning this for a year now. This was the Ivy Parks and Recreation first time hosting the Dia de los Muertos event as its own thing. 
We thought that last year a lot of people were getting confused. Those who are not really familiar with Dia de los Muertos, they started thinking that it was kind of affiliated with Halloween. And so we wanted to make sure that we have it be a distinct own event uh, because it is a totally different type of celebration as far as just what it's celebrating, as far as people who have passed away, loved ones, putting up their memories, which are called ofrendas. We have these altars here, which were done by some local community members and some local Latinx UCSB student groups. And yeah, we just want to make sure that people understood that this is its own separate celebration. The event took lots of planning with many local committee members contributing to the Dio de los Muertos event. We took about, you know, we reached out to some local student groups to see if we can get assistance with um, doing some of the decorations. Um, there are some traditional decorations, uh, reaching out to them, reaching out to local community members. So we had some families, some moms who um, donated their time and made the tamales fresh from home. Um, the bonche, which is a traditional hot tea, Mexican hot tea. Um, and we reached out to local dance groups. Um, so Chupili was the folklorical dance group that we had today. They have um, different uh, various age ranges and they brought the littles, juniors, and adults out here today for a dance performance. And then we have the Mariachi Mexicanismo um, come out today to do a live performance as well. It took a, it took a long time um, getting everyone together, but we're really excited with it. Luis also told me about the important symbols and items of Dio de los Muertos. One thing is the marigolds, which are the flower that speaks to the to the dead. Um, so these are these orange flowers here. Those are very traditional. Um, the ofrenda is supposed to have images of um, lost loved ones who passed away. Um, and so you have images of that. You have some um, also some religious image, imagery on there. And then you're also supposed to have some type of what, whatever photo you have, that person's like favorite food or beverage. So you'll see some like see a bottle of tequila right now, you'll see some Coca-Cola, some candy, put tamales, you put whatever that person's favorite kind of food or drink was on the ofrenda um, as kind of like a thank you and memory of them. I was there at this event and I thought the vibes were great. There were lots of good food to eat and great music to listen to. So the point question now, is this event going to happen again? We do plan on doing it again. Thank you to St. George Youth Center for helping host us today. Hopefully we'll be able to find maybe a bigger venue to accommodate all the people that came out tonight so they can uh, sit them comfortably. But yeah, we look forward to making this an annual event here in Alavista. It was great to see a unique cultural heritage take place right in the heart of our community. You have to check it out next year. With KCSB News and Inside Isla Vista, I'm Max Two. What a wonderful and vibrant way to honor our ancestors. Thanks, Max, for that colorful story. This is Inside Isla Vista. I'm Ginger Thomas with KCSB News. We're wrapping up Halloween week fun in IV on tonight's show. 
the Isla Vista Compost Collective hosted a pumpkin smash event to, well, keep the squishy orange mess off of Ivy Streets and have some fun, all for an eco-friendly cause. I was there to check it out, and here's my report. Pumpkin smashing was part of this year's post-Halloween cleanup efforts in Isla Vista. As fun as it sounds, it's also good for the environment. The team from the Isla Vista Compost Collective hosted the pumpkin smash event and invited local residents to let go of some stress and smash some pumpkins to benefit the community. Stephanie Mient, a first year at UCSB, attended the event and explained what made her come out. I went to the Isla Vista like community services um, Instagram page and I saw that there was like a pumpkin smashing event and then my roommate and I decided that it would be like a fun way to like let off steam after midterms and stuff. Emma Yende, a second year environmental studies major who works with the Isla Vista Compost Collective, explains her favorite part about the community. Um, I love being a part of this community and just doing something good for our community. It's um, focusing on sustainability and it's just making Ivy a better place, I think. Smashing pumpkins was certainly a team effort and that was evident when two participants at the event worked together to slingshot a pumpkin. Super low, T. I want you to launch that thing. While one pulled the pumpkin back, the other coached him on the proper angle. Batter up! Now, as fun and unique as this event was, one of its primary goals was to improve the environment. Carly Marto, the program manager of the Isla Vista Compost Collective, explains more on the purpose of this event and how to contribute to the success of Isla Vista's environment. Yeah, so once a year we all get together to smash pumpkins because, as we know, it's a, kind of an IV tradition uh, on the streets, so it's kind of a way to keep it off the streets, keep our community clean, but also all of the smash pumpkins we turn into compost at our compost piles. So we bring it all and uh, compost it at the community gardens, and then we donate that compost to the community gardens. We also just recently started to sell our compost. Carly also explains why composting smashed pumpkins versus unsmashed pumpkins is important. Well, like organic material or like once living um, material like pumpkins, um, when they are broken down in the landfill, they emit uh, climate change inducing greenhouse gases. Um, so basically they warm up the atmosphere. And that's because they don't have any oxygen in the landfill and the microbes that can break them down in the landfill um, through their like processes as they metabolize the material they emit a lot of methane which is a potent greenhouse gas and um, when you compost you're basically breaking down the material with oxygen and uh, with oxygen you have a, a much higher diversity of microbes breaking that material down like the pumpkins and they do not admit emit as min as <laughs> much as many emissions um, but yeah, so it's it's just much better for the earth because you're not having as many greenhouse gas emissions, but then we could also put those, put that organic material back into the soil instead of have it waste away in the landfill. We're an organization that was established by students in 2017 uh, with a mission to create access to composting for Isla Vista residents. So currently Isla Vista residents can get involved by signing up for our free food scrap collection service uh, where we basically come by once a week, uh, give people fresh pails and they collect their food scraps throughout the week, um, diverting it from their normal trash can which would go to landfill so we can pick it up, bring it to our community compost piles, process it there. And then uh, another way to get involved is to 
purchase our finished compost, which you can use as fertilizer for your plants or garden, and that's just a way to support us. We can continue um, doing what we do. As a service under the Community Services District, we do a survey where we kind of figure out what people's main concerns are in the town, and uh, a lot of people are worried about the overflowing trash cans and just kind of litter around the area. And by keeping the organics out of the normal trash cans around town, we're uh, avoiding any pests or uh, animals like raccoons or mice getting into the trash can, opening the lid, pulling it all out, and just creating a larger trash problem. So we basically, like by taking out all the food in the trash can and putting it in these buckets and composting it, we can also help um, the sort of like help avoid the litter problem around town as well. Another special thing about it is when we keep our food scraps inside of our borders of Isla Vista, we're kind of like it's kind of um, an act of resilience because um, normally it'd be taken away and food scraps are resources, they're not waste because we can turn it into such a valuable thing. So um, it's kind of like an act of like keep your resources within your borders and so we can reuse them to benefit our community rather than sending them outside. To learn more about the Isla Vista Compost Collective, you can visit their website at islavistacsd.ca.gov. It also lists drop-off times for the community compost locations. With KCSB News, I'm Ginger Thomas. What a unique experience. I had never seen anyone slingshot a pumpkin before. You're listening to Inside Isla Vista. Finally, a more serious story. The start of the school year is an exciting time for new college students when many first-year students are living outside of their family homes for the first time. But fall quarter is also the time when the highest number of sexual assaults are reported on and around college campuses. As reported in Psychology Today, more than 50% of campus sexual assaults happen between August and November. This violent trend is so prevalent that it even has a name, the red zone. It's important for students and allies to be aware of dangers and take precautions to keep safe. KCSB's Zoha Malik sits down with a representative from the Associated Students of UCSB organization, Students Against Sexual Assault, to learn about the red zone, how students can stay safe, and the resources offered on campus to combat the effects of interpersonal violence. This story contains mentions of sexual assault. The Red Zone is the period of time when sexual assaults on U.S. college campuses spike. To learn more about the Red Zone and what students can do to keep themselves safe, I spoke with Miranda Lawrence from Students Against Sexual Assault. Okay, can you please introduce yourself to the audience? Hi, my name is Miranda Lawrence. I'm a co-chair of Students Against Sexual Assault. Okay, great. And can you tell me what Students Against Sexual Assault does on campus and what's the goal of the organization? Yes, yes I can. So Students Against Sexual Assault is an AS organization and we are dedicated to fostering a campus culture of consent, respect, and support. Our mission is to raise awareness, provide resources, and empower students to actively prevent and respond to instances of sexual assault. Together, we strive for a safer and more inclusive learning environment for all. Okay, so can you tell me what exactly the red zone is? Yes, yes I can. So the red zone is basically the period of time from when the fall quarter starts until about Thanksgiving break. And it's when um, new students come in and there is the greatest percentage of instances of interpersonal violence throughout the entire year. 
So 50% of the total um, instances of interpersonal violence, which is just um, something that I, it's a more general term that sexual assault falls under the umbrella of, and it there can therefore be a less triggering term for many. Um, so this interpersonal violence that takes place on campus, um, 50% of the assaults for the entire year will take place before Thanksgiving break, statistically speaking. Okay, so why are new students most susceptible? New students are most susceptible because they are in a new environment for the first time. They're surrounded by new people. They're surrounded by new experiences, new influences, and it can just be a really difficult time to navigate it all. So um, the main point sort of of discussing the red zone is to sort of give those incoming students the education that we wish we had when we came in. Right. And I guess the newness of it is what makes fall quarter the most dangerous time as yes, well. Okay, that's correct. Um, so in about 50% of those instances of interpersonal violence, they will involve alcohol because many new students on campus for the first time trying new substances. Um, not everyone has the best of intentions, which can be hard to come into school knowing. But um, it's important to note that the victims are never at fault and that the perpetrators are always responsible for these instances. But um, unfortunately, this is the reality of the situation. So we sort of just have to work to be like, hey, here's maybe something you can do to potentially avoid putting yourself in that situation. It should be okay for you to put yourself in whatever situation you want to. However... Not everyone has the best of intentions. So there are a couple um, ways to go about this. Just uh, knowing your confidential resources on campus, for instance, CARE, which stands for Campus Advocacy Resources and Education. They provide support and guidance for survivors of SA. Um, You can learn many things about the resources on campus on our webpage, which is sasa.as.ucsb.edu, and we have a resources page. But um, CARE is probably one of our best resources just in support for survivors. They will guide anyone through the process, and they're just the most wonderful people. I would recommend it to anyone. As for things to know, just trust your gut. You know, if you feel like you're in a situation that Something about it is making you uncomfortable, and everyone will react differently, of course. There's the three main trauma responses are fight, flight, and freeze, and everyone will react differently in their own situation. So, of course, these steps could potentially help, but of course, it's not that it will happen. It's nothing that is necessarily, like, put into place. We don't expect you to like get out of whatever situation you're in. These are just ways that you could sort of just give yourself the best chance. Like trust your gut, stick with your friends, <laughs> keep your eyes on your drinks, things like that can all just be good in these initial weeks for avoiding any of those instances. Because yeah, not everyone has the best intentions. Nice. And are there any measures that the university can take to help students during this time? Um, so the resources, I would say, are most likely the best bet. Uh, the university has several ways to report, including their Title IX process. However, going through the Title IX process is non-confidential. 
So as for what the university can do to support, I would recommend first going through to CARE before using the university's like, official direct Title IX resources. But um, they've done a fairly good job listening to our demands for more resources for survivors. So I would say we have a nice supply of resources for survivors that someone could go to if they are feeling like they need help. Okay, great. And then is there anything else you want to share with our listeners that we haven't touched on today? Um, I think just we can't do this by ourselves. We have to do it together. And um, it's hard these first couple weeks. It's you're going to be in new situations. You're going to meet new people. You're going to, yeah, try new things. So uh, trust your gut. Stay with your friends. Let's stay vigilant, safe, and proactive. Remember, you're never alone and you're never at fault if anything is to happen. Let's make sure every student feels safe, valued, and empowered during the Red Zone this year. All right, thank you so much. That was KCSB's Zoha Malik speaking with reps from the AS-UCSB campus organization, Students Against Sexual Assault. You've been listening to Inside Isla Vista. Thanks for tuning in Wednesdays at 5 p.m. to find out what's happening in and around Isla Vista. I'm Ginger Thomas. Our theme music is Siesta by Jawsard. This is 91.9 FM KCSB.